Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello and welcome to The Word Podcast. I'm David Hepworth and I'm joined by... Mark Ellen. And the bloke who was referred to uh, some weeks ago by Trevor Dan as the other old bloke. The other old bloke? Me, Rob Fitzpatrick. Rob Actually, Fitzpatrick. how old, Rob? 37? Uh, 38. Yeah, but the reason he thought you were old is because a lot of the old bloke talks about the pentangle. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be old to like the no, pentangle, Trevor. You don't. You can we be very young without the pentangle. Up. Exactly. You could be in your. Te- I'm barely out of my teens. Exactly. I love the tangle. Love the tangle. <laughs> right. Let's the, before this gets deep into the. Let's just do half an hour on the No, <laughs> really good fun. All right. <laughs> really bad idea. Okay. This just in. Did you see that the Rolling Stones played the Isle of Wight this weekend? Yes. You didn't go then, Rob. No. Did you go, Mark? I didn't know. Did, don't tell me you went, Dave. No. <laughs> did you? Did you read the reviews? I, I haven't. I'm out of touch with pop and rock. Aren't okay. I? I didn't realise this. And I want you to yeah. guess. Okay. What are the two things that everybody mentions nowadays when they review the Rolling Stones doing this enormous great show? They've got a combined age of 800. Well, that's what they, that's what they always say in the Daily Mail, Let's don't they? Let's run through <laughs> Rolling Stones. The combined age is 573 right. and counting. Yeah. And what's, they're going to get younger. What's the headline likely to be? Uh, it'll uh, be um, uh, uh, Strolling Bones. No, strolling, it'll be, no, it'll be, uh, it'll be a, a play on one of their songs, right? Be, or, no, it won't be. We, we can Stones, get some satisfaction. Rolling Stones are often their own clouds um, yeah. put your yah-yahs away oh, no, just no, no it's there's nothing like that it tends to be just a play on stones stones keep on rolling all that sort, oh, of, okay. sort of stuff you know, which it has been since about 1974 hasn't mm. it you know armies of generations of subs in their sleep have just reached to the keyboard and come stones keep on rolling haven't yeah. they but I've noticed something recently that there's two things that they always mention in reviews and they have done here on the BBC website and so forth they talk about how far Mick Jagger runs. Right. <laughs> but to be fair, yeah. he runs a long way, yeah. doesn't he? But on those old pins as well, eh? On those old pins. But if I wanted to watch somebody running, 
yeah. a long way. There's, yeah. a, there's a very good thing called the London Marathon, isn't there? It is, which yeah. t- took place a few weeks I've, ago. I love but, but, but nobody on the London Marathon suddenly stops mid-stage, as it were, and then pretends they're trapped in a block of ice. <laughs> Imagine how good it would be if they did. <laughs> I'm doing the movements now. But you know what? There is literally sport for that kind of thing, isn't it? It doesn't just have to be the London Marathon. It could be almost anything. It could be football. Could what, it's an Olympic event? Sort of doing no, just mine. sport. Just <laughs> a cube. Any <laughs> sport outside of snooker. Seriously. A lot of running about, isn't there? Seriously. Back in 1971, 72, 73, when the Rolling Stones were at their absolute zenith as the greatest rock and roll band in the world, as yeah. we have discussed in the past on yeah. this podcast, did anybody ever mention how far <laughs> Mick Jagger ran? But no, the reason did... is because he didn't run because they played on much smaller stages. Now he has to run. He wants to have a word with Ronnie. It's literally, it's a 200 yard sprint, isn't it? Like that. With oxygen at the end. Oh, Ronnie. Oh, Ronnie. Have you ever seen them at Wembley Stadium? But they are, they're not in the same postal district. Mm. Absolutely unbelievable. They have to look at each other with binoculars to work out who's in, actually in the band. So I'm fed up of all this because they go on about how, they, how he runs a long way. And the other thing is they just talk about how spectacular it was. Yeah. You know, because did you see how they got onto the Isle of Wight? Did you see this? I didn't. How did the Rolling Stones get onto the Isle was of Wight? Not the Yarmouth Ferry, obviously. Was it aboard uh, some golden swans? Caught in flight on a magical <laughs> eastern breeze. I don't believe so, Rob. Oh, well, it must be boring then. <laughs> and, uh, boat. So, what do you th- what do you think it took to get the Rolling Stones onto the Isle of Wight? Do you think they took the Isle of Wight ferry? Their own yacht. Mm. No, I'm guessing they no. took they took five ferry. individual yachts. They commissioned their own ferry. <laughs> they the commissioned actual, their own. They, fer- they brought their own ferry to take their stuff. And there are 200 people Jeez. onto the Isle of Wight. That's lovely. So they, they just revert, they backed up, right, at Livington, opened the boot, got out of the ferry, <laughs> stuck <laughs> it in the water. No, I think they brought another ferry with swim, that ferry on the back. And That's then, it, yeah. So I'm fed up of that, and I think it's got to stop. Did it mention anywhere in there about Keith Richards? You know, of course, you know, he snorted his dad. Did it mention <laughs> that in there? Did they have Hasn't that? that one been uh, shot down, hasn't it? it? So, well, Keith Richards shot him down. He I think said it wasn't true. Which I thought was good value from Keith because yeah. he got a lot of mileage out of it, and then yeah, let it, both worlds said, so "I tell you what, wasn't true." So. Yeah, let, it, let it run for a week, and yeah, then, then you just know, retract it. it. You know, the word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. This is not a very podcast-friendly item because I'm about to show you to a picture oh, right, that okay. I printed off the internet. Okay, I think and I know a, what this is. This is yeah. George Michael on stage. Another gig that I'm sure you've you've ruined the surprise for us now, Dave. On stage? No, I'm not. It's, that's okay. not the mystery. Right. Okay, uh, in front of however many people at the new Wembley Stadium, seventy, eighty thousand, absolutely huge, and a bunch of people here. You see in this picture have been fortunate enough to get close to the artist. Okay, right. And I want you to tell the listeners what they're doing. Oh right! Well, none of them is to be looking at George Michael. No, not they're, they're one staring person at the back screens picture. of their little video cameras. Yeah, yeah. They're taking photographs. How does that feel if you're George Michael? Well, he's probably he's probably not that aware, is he? He's feeling a bit woozy. Doesn't really know where he is. <laughs> yeah. Could he's only just stepped out of a four by four vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> Weaving its uncertain way towards Wembley. <laughs> yeah. no, yes, no. yeah. Then someone him, mate. pointed him at the stage. Go on, George. Do <laughs> last Christmas or whatever. Comes along, and wanders off again. It's all over, isn't it? So, don't you think it's got to stop though? This this uh, photography, this mad photography by well, people at, at gigs. It's just I went to these see, people uh, are not watching no. what they've paid all that money and gone to all that trouble to watch, are they? But then, what what's to watch? Well, presumably, if they think it's worth photographing, they must think it's something worth watching. Yeah. So why not watch it? In the case of George Michael, though, all you're watching is a man in a, in a, in a rather lacklustre maroon jacket yeah. with either side of him uh, rather tawdry inflatables of Bush and Blair. Yeah. 
They're probably not actually taking photographs. They're, they're watching uh, a film that yeah. they brought along with them. <laughs> yeah. They're, 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 they're probably watching at, music and lyrics with you know Hugh Grant they, and they Drew might Barrymore. Be looking at some other pictures of a more exciting concert they took a week before. A week beforehand. Somewhere. They're showing each other. Have you seen the aliens? They're really good. <laughs> very good. I don't know what we're doing. Are you here. familiar with Laura Veers? <laughs> Great. Fantastic artist. Uh, very exciting. Oh, who's, who's this geezer? Yeah. God knows. Go on, get off. I went to uh, a Prince press conference recently, and uh, I actually was guilty of doing that because before he even came on, they had some clips of him, and I took some pictures of the clips, which is stupid. You took pictures of yes, I did. Of pictures. And then when he came on, and he was did? about twenty-five yards away, I took some pictures of Prince, put one on the website. Little tiny bloke in a white jacket, twenty-five yards away, on a camera phone. So I know I can understand why they're doing it because you sort of feel like you. Oh, I'm going to capture this moment. But the trouble is, everyone's doing it on camera phones. Nearly all, or nearly all of those on camera phones. Yeah, and they're just but not going the to be any good. Equivalent. I went to see Pet Shop Boys, the Hammersmith Odeon, the, mm. the other night, mm. and exactly the same thing happened. Just in front of us was just a forest of arms. Every single person was recording it. And the truth is, you can't go home now and say to your to your other half, you know, I was the concert. You have to say, I was a concert. Have mm. a look. It was like there was a very annoying thing about ten years ago when people used to ring you up during concerts on their mobiles, mm. and the phone would go. Did you ever get that? Oh. All you can hear is a. <laughs> Yeah. Sound of applause and screaming and drunken people shouting. And then in the distance you could hear Bob Dylan playing Mr. Tambourine yeah. Man very, really very badly. badly. And some drunken voice goes, Here, mate! Listen, <laughs> guess where I am! <laughs> and it used to make me quite cross, actually. Yeah. Isn't it just any of my friends listening, don't do that. It is. Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah. it's the postcard thing, which is, I'm there and you're not, and I'm having a better time than you, because you're having a better time you than You can't be having a better time. Because you're driving me no. crazy playing... You couldn't be having a better time, because I'm not at a George Michael concert, Therefore, I'm be- whatever I'm doing, I'm going to be having a better time. By definition. By definition. I was with my in-laws. Uh, I had Washing an, I, up. I had an early night and went to bed at my in-laws' house on Saturday night. And that would have been more fun than that. <laughs> so, you know, there we go. Oh, it's withering, Chris. Withering. Uh, uh, I, went to, uh, I went to this Nick Lowe show last week, which was uh, put on as part of uh, BBC Four. They do these sessions where they record concerts with artists. Uh, it's a place called St Luke's down near Old Street. We'll talk about it a bit more in, mm. in a moment. But that's obviously a, a very select gathering. You know, it's kind of invitation only. So it's it's record company people, BBC people, friends of the performers, mm. and so forth, and elderly relations. And uh, and the floor manager before they start, they give you all the you know they tell you where the where the fire exits are and all the things you can do and can't do, and says no photography. And clearly, everybody everybody in the audience sat there and said. You know, saying, "Well, as if as if we would ever, <laughs> as if we would Dead. ever yeah. to take a photograph of anybody, as if we were so thrilled to be in yeah. the presence of Nick Lowe that we were going to take a photograph." Yeah. How dare you imply that? Kind of what you were saying, as Nick Lowe comes on, it's just a forest. No, it was seemly. It was the most. It was possibly the best behaved concert I have ever been to in my life. People didn't even stand up. I mean, they were very enthusiastic. It was fabulous performances, so forth. Mm. But people didn't even stand up because they had one of those incredible jib uh, camera setups. You know, oh, it's yeah, like yeah, a boom that goes yeah. swooping across the. You'd across be the beheaded if you. You literally even, would be beheaded. Yeah, right. Even I would be beheaded. Yeah. You know, if I stood up to <laughs> applaud, I knew the bright red head goes. Everyone off. else would cut off the waist. Taken straight off. So Sorry, this was the best behaved set of uh, set of uh, pe- uh, audience members I've ever come across in my life. And I how wonder, fantastic was I? But it was wonderful. He was absolutely terrific. He sang and he played beautifully. Mm. And he had a, his small group that he generally works with. 
uh, augmented by three brass players who came on for just three songs, I think. Uh, one of whom was was uh, Chris Barber, who I make to be seventy seven years old. Mm. Chris Barber, Chris the Barber, Chris you Barber. know the kind of trad jazz pioneer oh, God, of the fifties and sixties. The man who I think Chris Barber, you know, these say these, there are a certain number of guys who ought to be carried around on sedan chairs for yeah, the rest oh, of their yeah. life for what they did for music. Chris Barber was the guy who, effectively, in Britain, is the father of rhythm and blues, isn't mm. he? Because it was only out of his jazz band. That they used to run a little bit of a blues yeah. combo, didn't they? To That's play right. during the um, during their concerts, so people like Alexis Corner and Brian Jones and people like that would get would get their first opportunity to perform with Chris Barber. So there he is, amazing, seventy seven years old, turning up with his trombone right, and, yeah. and looking absolutely thrilled to be there. And of course, one of the odd things about as people get older, you tend to think of Chris Barber as being a completely different generation. Mm. To Nick Lowe, but as Nick Lowe gets older, you sort of think, no, there's not that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Getting more and more in common. Yeah, they're kind of older people. Anyway, I do wonder if one of the reasons for the the fact that the audience was so fantastically well behaved is that this was taking place in a church mm. where the acoustics are so, absolutely. So Luke's is beautiful. I don't know how old it is, but it it seems to be used by the London Symphony Orchestra. Matt, Matt over here, the producer, knows how old it is. Oh. Our church architecture correspondent over to Matt Nicholas Hawksmore. It's the a Hawksmoor church. Yeah. And uh, they were built after the Great Fire London. There you go. Yeah. So With Nick Lowe in mind. Yes. Yeah, I think so. In many yeah. centuries from now. But it's obviously Chris been... Re- will take up his It's been boat. restored like crazy, hasn't it? I mean, because, you know, Hawksmoor churches tend to look a bit down. It was actually bombed. And so it was... It was oh, uh, right. It, it didn't have a roof for about... I'll tell you what, those Germans, say. Yeah. Hawksmoor, <laughs> <laughs> man! Yeah. Hey! Much more respect. Why I order? But, you know... Come on, Hitler. Just going back at a tangent to the Wembley Stadium concert. George, I was reading a review of that in the paper yesterday, and the whole thing was about the sound. He said it looked marvellous. Oh, yeah. But what was the sound like? Colon, slightly disappointing. <laughs> Are you remotely surprised? <laughs> yeah. This is a gigantic kind of saucer, isn't it? You know, yeah. in North London, open air. Of course, it's going to be slightly. Although, I mean, course, you know, the Shepherd's Bush Empire, my favourite venue, which is around the corner from where I live, is. An old acoustic theatre. I mean, it's built in probably 1840 something. Over to Matt. I Matt can, do, can date any building in London, <laughs> listeners. And it's brilliant. And it's one of those. One of them has got four tiers, and it's designed obviously for um, you know old musical acts yeah. to get up and uh, and to be heard in the golds. It's a very narrow kind of acoustic tower, yeah. and you sit around it, and because you can actually hear people play with that. If the sound system went down, you could still hear it. Mm. It's designed to be heard. I mean, what, know, was it the, what was it? What was it? You and I were at something. Was it De- Decembris where they did they did part of that? They did. Without, they did part of that show without without any exactly. They divided they up the, the audience. PA, were they? That's right. They divided up the audience and restaged a moment from the battle of uh, what was it? The, uh, oh, well, they did something earlier in the show. I thought which which involved them all just singing but not going through the PA. That's right. Mm. And you could hear it. Yeah, oh, it's absolutely perfect. Absolutely astonishing. So it's funny, isn't it? How come they can't build modern rock and roll venues? Is it not the case that all the great rock and roll venues um, that we hold so close to our hearts tend to be places that were not designed as rock and roll venues? They're like Mark says, Shepherd's Bush Empire, or the Lyceum. The old Lyceum. I know that's not used as rock and roll venue anymore, but it was, you know. Again, Edwardian Victorian yeah, music hall. Yeah, it was an old, uh, old you know, I mean, tea dance well, I suppose venue, they were, is, if you take something like... Uh, the Lyceum or somewhere like Timberbridge Empire or somewhere like Hammersmith Odeon as was they were designed without PAs in mind but they were designed to send the sound zooming up oh. through the hall 
Whereas a modern rock and roll venue will be designed with the idea that you're going to rig up a load of you're speakers. Gonna fly you're going to fly the PA. Yeah, you're going to have it bouncing back hey. from here and all that kind and of thing. And you're going to reach people at the back. So, yeah, you've got to reach yeah. people at the back. And so there's no there's no idea of the building itself having to help the music or you know, really help true. the thing come along. Because it's, you know, it's just a box for you to fill and design your own sound in. It's not, you know, it doesn't have to be... But there are two really good ones. To, 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 to Go disagree on. with you for a second, Queen Elizabeth Hall and Barbican both have absolutely incredible... Um, acoustics, but they are hideously boring buildings to be in. They, they are, are yeah. monumentally mm. dull. They're inside yeah. a great big concrete compound in the middle of nowhere. And, yeah. You know, and you, they've tried to kind of produce them. We saw um, Tanara in there yeah. yes. about two months yeah. ago, and they're, they're trying to bring the magic of this wonderful kind of <laughs> bring the desert, desert blues yeah. to this terrible old pile of bricks. Yeah, know. I saw uh, Canona number one at Barbican, and they really struggled because, I mean, they were fantastic, but. <laughs> it was just there were a load of people out there. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, so so chin stroking uh, uh, boffins well, like yeah. us, really. <laughs> mm, they are like libraries, aren't they? They are like libraries. Whereas, going back to your Victorian and Edwardian musicals and so forth, I wonder if it's something to do with the kind of velour and the velvet. Mm, it is, yeah. yeah. And the surface of the, of the, the walls. But the amount yeah, of wood and stuff as well in the thing, which is just going to resonate with everything and carry everything along. And you feel that those places encourage you to stand up in your little tiny box or your seat and applaud and mm. shout and dance and you know, get involved. Whereas the other ones don't. You feel you are literally, as you very often are, actually told them to sit down and yeah. shut up. Well, I can because remember. Somebody's paid £50 to sit behind you and they want to hear the concert. Yeah. You know? So I bored you many times in the past uh, by you know the best gig in the history of the world, which I was at, which was Bob Marley and the Whalers, mm. analysing him in 1975. And you really felt you were inside a bass speaker. You know what I mean? Mm. That it just it rumbled through the whole place. The whole place shook with the uh, you know with the sound of the vibration of that of that rhythm section in a way that you just can't get in a you know in a Wembley arena. Or a place it always like rather that. annoys me when Dave brings up Bob Marley last because you see there's absolutely no comeback. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know I've, I've known Dave for thirty years and I'm still desperately trying. To think. I can't say. Oh, well, well, you didn't see the senseless. Thing. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> they were brilliant, yeah. Dave. You should have been because you literally yeah. lost. Didn't you didn't see Bob Marley recording. I'm going to play this game. Yeah, we're going to play. We're going to play top trumps gigs here. I'd go back. I'd go back to the. Lyceum. I mean, Bob Marley's always been good, but nine Go years, on. nine years after that gig, I was at the Lyceum and I oh. saw Wasp, Wrathchild, and Thor. The guy who bent the bars. Bent the bars. Follow that. Did Bob Marley bend any bars? I don't think so. Did Bob Marley blow up a hot water bottle and, and then sing first. and then sing Thunder on the Tundra? Oh, I can not think he did, Dave. So who wins? Oh, yeah. this is, this is a good game. Rob, first gig you ever went to? Come on, Dave Gilmore. Dave really? Gilmore, Dave, as he was, Dave Gilmore, solo uh, artist. Uh, yes, solo artist. Wow. Hammers Odeon, supported by Billy Bragg. Good That's strange. Oh, so when was that? Last week, nineteen eighty-four. Mark Allen, first gig. First gig was um, in order of the supporter. The first rock star I ever saw walk on stage was Nick Lowe. We were talking about earlier. Oh, really? And I was about uh, fourteen or fifteen. It was, it was the Roundhouse in Chalk Farm. And Nick Lowe was the bass guitarist of a group called Brindley's Force. And he walked oh. on stage holding a fretless Fender bass hey. with a cigarette uh, through his great curtain of long hair. I thought, what a fantastic looking guy. And they supported the Andy Roberts band who supported the <laughs> Mighty Soft Machine. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, Ted Dexter, of course, doing the 
going, why am I talking for you? Like, <laughs> Ted Dex doesn't talk like that at all. But anyway, that was my first concert, yeah. yeah. And the bloke in front of me had a massive afro. I yeah. wasn't from London, so I hadn't really seen very many afros. And in his afro, Dave, like a kind of bouquet, he had stuck burning joysticks. Wow. <laughs> I thought, this is just yeah. brilliant. This is London. I'm going right. to stay here, and yeah. I may just get into this whole rock music thing. Yeah. This is going to work for me. Yeah, all I want now is some guy to come on with a big old hot water bottle and blow yeah. it up and bend the bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'll never yeah. go and see Bob Marley. I'll yeah. tell you that for a fact. No. He sounds really dull. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I won't, I won't tell you my, my first gig. <laughs> yeah, come on, actually, I know what you're doing. This is even. Do you want to play this game? Because Dave knows she's won. He's won again. It's Chuck Berry, isn't it? Am I right? Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry, the animals. Go on. Not bad, but do, do, I, do I take all this money off the table? <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 well, just all my. Is there a, you know, you he, can give me an IOU as well, Rob. Did Chuck Berry? Did, did Chuck Berry have a codpiece with a spinning saw blade? In it? <laughs> no. Yeah, because do you know why? He's got no idea about stagecraft and showbiz. Did Chuck Berry no. right, throw raw chicken into the audience? <laughs> I don't no. think he did. No. No. And he wishes he had. No. He wishes he had. Of course, because I'm not saying that Dave Gilmore did either of those. Actually, I've gone back to the wasp gig. Obviously, Dave Gilmore doesn't never worn a codpiece. Because the other thing it. about the Chuck Berry show, because whenever I think back to it, is is it was the eve, the early evening show. Yeah. Because in those days they did two shows a night. Oh, yeah. Shouldn't I, they bring okay. that back? I've, all, I've yeah, for a long idea. time. I've said that they should have gigs should be over by nine. Just over. I wrote a thing in Melody Maker a few years ago about it, and it caused a bit of a furore. Well, Melody Maker, yeah, yeah. The Nobody Melody Maker got up till nine. Death rattle, anyway. But no, I think gigs. Get them. Get get your support band on at upper six. Get your main band on upper seven. It's all over by nine. You go and do something else. I'm with you. Very There's civilized. lots of other things. But is is, that, is yeah. it just? Is it just to do with your advancing years? Well, right? no, which are only advancing at the same rate as everybody else around this table. But what's you know what's so good about you know at a concert you know a concert you could call them a gig you can go with whatever one you want and he's looking at you it's like it's quarter to eleven and they're still banging on you know yeah, you think, well, I could out, be yeah. either in the pub I could be in a restaurant I could be on my way home I could be at home I could be doing something else I've seen the band yeah you know how much longer do you want to bang on come on but Rob you, do you, sound, you don't sound like somebody who's batting for a rock magazine here you sound like <laughs> rock music is just one of your lifestyle options well, see, do you think it's almost a leisure pursuit it's as opposed le- to being you know the be all and end all but look, our existence. look if you go to the theatre yeah. if you go to the theatre yeah. I'm just trying to wind him up <laughs> <laughs> oh, course, if you right. go to the theatre yeah. and the audience are all there and the safety officers are all there and the performers are all there it starts, doesn't it? For yeah. God's it sake, does yeah. it yeah. begins. Yeah. Does this happen at a rock and roll show? No. no. We get all the audience there. We get all the performers there, and then a bunch of guys blunder around in the dark for about an hour and a half, yeah. trying well, to look dead important. No, but they, what they're doing? Well, the guys in the back of Simon's, what they're doing? Coming uh, on and plugging in amplifiers and just thinking, oh my two, god, two, one, two, one. Now the senseless things will be on. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> But first, I mean, seriously, I wrote a piece about this in Word in the past, didn't I? About just things that had to happen at rock and roll gigs because they they can't. Because now we got the point. Yeah, that was it. We worked out that there are more rock musicians than there are plumbers. Yeah. So the supply outstrips the demand. So it's about time they just shaped up. 
mm. and started giving us a, a customer-facing experience. Yeah. 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 We're bloody yeah. gone now. We paid the so money. It's the service industry. It's the service industry. Believe it. I love, I love the tenor of these podcasts. It's a bit like the magazine, really. So yeah. Everybody just grumbles, and I sit in the middle, going, "Hey guys, everything's great. <laughs> What's the demand about?" And then Turn we get, that frown upside down. And then we get back in the office, and he's the one who's miserable about absolutely everything. I know, it's Untrue, of course. Dave. <laughs> let me just. So say. talking of misery mm. and people who ah, have, what a link! Oh, what a link! Look at that. See that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Talking to people who have an undeserved reputation for being miserable, mm. uh, on the cover of the new issue of Word, out now, uh, get your copy, hurry, 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 uh, wordmagazine.co.uk, we have Mr. La- Leonard Cohen. Laughing Len. We, yeah. we call, now, it's a serious issue, this. Because we boy. call him laughing sincerely, don't we? We don't call him laughing ironically at all. No. Because it, it kind of annoys me the extent to which uh, Leonard Cohen has become a bit of a joke to a load of people in mm. the, the, this gag about songs for swinging suicides and, you know, why would you listen to Leonard Cohen? It's music to slash your wrist to and all this yeah. stuff. It's just oh, it's, not uh, the but, case. But is, is it, it any different, Dave, from, from what people used to say about Morrissey? People who never listened to Morrissey's mm. uh, music. You know, Morrissey's music, uh, you know, finds in the, in, the, in the kind of deep northern gloom uh, diamonds in the rough, doesn't mm. it? I mean, it is yeah. about uh, attempting to accrue a sense of happiness. Mm. You know, he's not... A, I mean, there are, he is a cartoon, miserable person in some respects, but, I mean, basically, he's there to, to raise a sum of human happiness. Yeah. And, and, and laughing, Len, actually, is, is not even that mordant anymore. No, no, no. I mean, he's actually uh, very, very funny. light. And very funny. really hasn't been for about and 35 years. And very self-critical. I mean, it's yeah. all about... It's that lovely uh, uh, song recorded about 10 years ago, I, I ache in places where I used to play. Do you remember that? It's all about old age. <laughs> and uh, I've got to tell you, I interviewed him for this um, for this cover story, which incidentally this is the first time this has ever happened. Actually, this will be broadcast on Radio Two this uh, Friday on uh, at seven o'clock on Friday, June the fifteenth. No, given that's a first. Well, okay, cool. well, I think we should give, I know, the, quite, give, quite give right. the magazines interview yeah. a plug. And um, yeah, he's uh, you know he, he, I had to interview him with his with his girlfriend beside him, which was made it quite difficult actually to ask him lots of questions I wanted to ask him, especially about his roguish old love life. <laughs> so I wanted to ask him about this wonderful sleeve, which had a great effect on him. I'm sure you remember mm. the back of Songs from a Room. You know, and I said to him how he was being very modest about his uh, influence. I said, "You were massively influential in many ways." I said, "I said when I was a kid, I was fourteen. I should look at the back of that sleeve, and if I remember rightly, there was a girl wrapped only in a towel, typing out what I imagined to be the lyrics written by the, uh, you know, saturnine and stubby poet who who'd written." I said, "If I could only learn to write the acoustic guitar and pretend to be a poet, I too would have a girl <laughs> yeah. sitting in my bedroom dra- resting." A- I asked him all this stuff. Of course, he couldn't really respond because his because uh, the missus because the missus Helen is seventy two years old. And Under- Johnny Thomas, brackets forty seven, terrific looking. Forty seven. But I know, I know, yes, sitting beside him, calling him darling all the way through yeah. the interview. So he had to be kind of shrug it off and be a little bit. Kind of, yeah. So I couldn't get much information. Bad, bad idea, actually, ask people about their old love life when the when the missus is sitting in the interview. Yeah. But I'm not. <coughs> now, you know, I should. Bit, have a, bit of a hint for you, young journalist. There. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's taken me a long time to figure yeah. that one out. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you're interviewing a seventy-two. No, but I mean, the man is immensely. Witty, it radiates enormous uh, warmth and uh, and humanity, and uh, I think it's wrongly accused. A lot of it, I think, is is based on purely on the kind of the sound of his voice, with that kind of deep, rich tone, and people put that together with the pace of the song to go. Well, it must be miserable. Whereas actually, to I hate to bring George Michael back into it, but the idea of listening to an hour of (laughs) George Michael that really would make me want to slash my wrists from top to bottom. Just, you know, let's go outside or whatever it's called. You know, that would make me want to kill myself. Whereas listening to Leonard 
or Red House Painters or Codeine or something like that. Who, Can we get the Red House Painters? Literally, <laughs> literally miserable music. I mean, really properly, very, very sombre music is incredibly uplifting. Whereas Robbie yeah. Williams... Robbie Williams? Don't you want to top yourself? I would... I'd be there with a tie around my neck. <laughs> tying myself to a hoist. So Len Fonsley... Don't we love our dear old codgers on this magazine? We, they, we do. Yeah. We love the codgers. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Did you see yeah. that thing in the, uh, the Observer yesterday about uh, George Melly? Is that oh, yeah. George Melly's hearing has been going for some time. Mm. John Chilton, who ran the feet warmers, has written a biography and talks about this moment about ten years ago when he's, he's in the audience and somebody shows up a heckler shout outside and says, you ought to be embarrassed. He said, but I am surely here. Why should I be in Paris? <laughs> That's not the point. That's not the point. Two years later, right, he's playing in the southern counties, isn't he? Mm. And uh, he asks yeah. this girl where she's from. He wants to know if she's local. She said, um, she said I, I, I do live nearby, but I've spent some time in Uxbridge. And he goes, I am so, so sorry to hear that. And I'm so thrilled and knocked out that, you know, that you've managed to make such a brave recovery and the terrible traumas and misery you must have seen. She said, it wasn't that bad. He said, anyone who's been in Auschwitz would have suffered. <laughs> he thought she said Auschwitz. He said, I've been in Uxbridge. It's just really brilliant. <laughs> Not the first mention. No. We're fan of Auschwitz. No, there's they mention you know else what? I think there's a mention of it in the current issue of Word magazine, wordmagazine.co.uk, uh, in an interview with Alan Corrin. That's right. Who relates the story of his uh, a story uh, he read about oh, Walter Matthau, <laughs> another old giver, another old giver. <laughs> Go on. Who Walter Matthau is in has gone with his wife to Poland to visit various, you know, scenes of concentration camps That's and right. whatever to do, you know, to do a, a sort of, uh, you know, pilgrimage, very serious, somber pilgrimage. And uh, he's a legendary he's in his, Jewish actor. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, famous yeah. Jewish actor. Uh, and he's in his hotel in Krakow, and uh, he's meant to be going out to uh, you know to to Auschwitz that morning, and um, he's sort of waiting for his limo to arrive. Yes, they sent a limo. They right. sent a limo, which is you know quite unusual anyway. They sent a limo, but was rather the trouble is they haven't sent a limo, and he calls down to reception and he says, uh, uh, "Yes, Walter Matthau here. Yes, he's where's my limo? Where's my limo?" And the guy says, oh, "I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Matthau. Uh, your limo's uh, hasn't been ordered properly. Won't be here for another four hours." And he goes. I want you to know you have ruined Auschwitz for me. <laughs> I love that. You ruined Auschwitz. <laughs> Slams down the phone. <laughs> Beautiful. So. I've got to read you this one. This is a piece of correspondence that, that came to the rocking vicar. Mm. Uh, the, the, the vicar actually passed it on to me. Um, which pulls together a number of these threads. And I think you're going to like this. That, right. uh, that uh, this guy, Steve, uh, Steve Draper, says, this, says, in the mid-1990s, shortly after the Manic Street Preachers had brought out their grim The Holy Bible album, I found myself sharing a flat for a few months in Gateshead mm. with a drug-crazed, man- manically depressed bloke who spent his days drinking white cider and doing any drug he could get his hands on white while listening cider. to The Holy Bible about eight times a day. Oh his unhealthy idolatry of Richie Manic culminated in him one day deciding to carve the word despair into his arm <laughs> in the style of the notorious skin-slashing guitarist. <laughs> However, when he came into the room to shock me and a friend of his with what he'd done, a misspelling and too big a space between letters caused his friend to ask him, who's Des Pear? That's oh, so, very idea, You'd you be so it, cross. You carve that into your arm and you're so pleased with it. 
You go in the other room and say, guys, look what yeah, I've done. Know. You know, hardly it seems fair. in the spirit of self-regulation. We always like. mention virtually every, uh, every every podcast, Paul Denoy's mate in, 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 in Liverpool, who, who had a, in 1964 got a, got a, a tattoo that said, I heart the battles. <laughs> Imagine that. John, Paul, George, yeah. and all the battles. What yeah. the battles, yeah. So you've got to be careful with Long that. Show John, Paul, George, and Bingo. And Bingo, that's right. Yeah. Is there anything else we've got to cover? Anything else? Anybody show and tell? Anything uh, anybody wants to to uh, share No, I'd just like to say that when I was at the Pet Shop Boys the other night, I met the uh, chairman of EMI Parlophone, Tony mm. Wadsworth, and he said he listens to our podcast every Friday night as he drives out of the country. Hello, Tony. So, Tony, hello, and you ought to turn left in about a mile uh, <laughs> down the A303, and then you yeah. get to see Stonehenge on your right. Yeah. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So at this point in the programme, it's traditional to have the horror uh, which is the uh, the hoary old oh, yeah. rock anecdote? And uh, have you got one, Rob? I don't know whether I've really got any hoary old rock anecdotes. Being a mere thirty-eight, so <laughs> sort of, uh, the pentagon must have crossed your path at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the pentagon have crossed. I could tell the title. No. Uh, <laughs> oh, that sounds like it's a all good too, one. It's all too. It's all too recent history. Dave, you've got one up your sleeve. I can surely. Okay. <laughs> You've oh, go on, then. Oh, go on. So there was Chuck Berry and Bob Marley and uh, Yeah, well, those were very stories. They left you better than that. Um, okay. This is a um, genuine true story happened to me in uh, back in the year 1976. Oh, I know this story. Uh, when I was working <laughs> for Berserkly Records oh. as a, for my sins, a, a radio and TV plugger. Not a career I recommend to anybody. But one of the things we had to do for a while was we had to do the plugging for a fellow independent label, Stiff, who were very busy at the time because they'd just released the first single by their hot new signing, Elvis Costello. Yes, excellent. And he was hotter than a hot thing. Mm. He, he really was. You know, and these are in the days when you know the enemy got on to things like that. And mm. they, and London was a complete hothouse and was the centre of world yeah. music. And, and so it fell to me to deliver Elvis, who was infallibly charming, uh, to, you know, radio interviews and things of this nature. And uh, the only transportation we had at our disposal was my wife's Morris Thousand, which, in, you know, even at the time must have been about 14 years old. Is that a four by four? <laughs> I didn't think so. I think it used to be called a half-timbered car. Oh, right. Do you remember? It looks like a Tudor house. Oh, no, no. And it didn't, it didn't have flashes on the back. It had <laughs> indicators that flashed yeah, on the back. donkey's ears. That's absolutely right. Anyway, the big thing about Elvis was that they had put a complete ban on any background about where he had come from. You know, he was Declan McManus, oh, but yeah. nobody oh, knew yeah. this. Yeah. They'd called him Elvis Costello, which is the most audacious mm. thing to do. Mm. And the only thing anybody knew about him was that he once worked for Elizabeth Arden, the, right. you know, the perfume yeah. company. But there was no idea that he'd been a computer analyst or something. The, the, well, there was no idea that he had any kind of musical background. There was certainly no family background. There was none of that stuff. Complete blackout on it. So... I am one day driving Elvis to a radio session at Capital Radio. And I'm going down the Euston Road, me and Elvis, in, in my wife's Morris Thousand. And a lot of traffic. And we are stuck outside Madame Tussauds. Thinking, are we going to get this radio thing on time? 
And Elvis and I happen to be talking about the days before Radio 1, uh, when they hardly ever played any records on the radio, and a lot of the music was dance band yeah, shows oh yeah, that yeah. used to be on at lunchtime, where dance band singers would cover the hits of the time. And I said, God, I remember those things. Those people used to be terrible. They were just <laughs> an embarrassment. <laughs> Uh-oh. And I don't know what made me do this. Don't but go there, Dave. Somewhere, <laughs> yeah. somewhere from the dark recesses of my jumbled memory, it, is, it staggers me to this day, day <laughs> that I did Uh-oh. this. I said there was one in particular... <laughs> I said, what was his name? Ross McManus. I said, I remember once seeing this pillar appeared on television in an enemy poll winner's concert wearing a frilly shirt playing the bongos and trying to sing Get Off My Cloud by the Rolling Stones. And Elvis says, you can just drop me off here. I'll walk the rest of the way. I must have guessed by then. So anyway, Elvis is just... <laughs> I've gone into full ramp mode, and and Elvis started slightly quieter. Yeah. And yeah, okay. And anyway, the traffic moved on. We got to Capital Radio. We went and did his session. All that carried on. I took him back to Stiff Records. No, no problem. Following day, I go to Liverpool, and there in Liverpool at BBC Radio Merseyside, at BBC Radio Liverpool, or whatever they called in that day, is a venerable DJ called Billy Butler who's still there today and used to be the DJ at the cabin and knows everybody in Liverpool. Old school. Lovely guy. And he said to me, I've been playing that record by that Elvis Costello. I said, yeah, good. He said, yeah, I got a letter from his dad. And I leaned forward. <laughs> I leaned forward and think, ooh, I'm about to get a bit of, you know, I've got a bit of a lean yeah, here. Yeah, in Abbott and Costello. Who, yeah. <laughs> who Elvis's dad was. And he said, yeah, he used to sing with Joe Loss. And I, I just, my jaw kind of stopped. And then he goes, Heart yeah. in boots. His name, name was Ross McManus. <laughs> I stood there. Shoot self. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I nearly, you know, if I, I would have lain on the floor and gone into the fetal position, if, you know, but, if but it hadn't no, looked but, appallingly unprofessional. But no matter, it haunted me for about a week afterwards. No, but no matter how miserable Elvis would have been feeling on a personal level about this uh, appalling indignity to his old pie, he must have been thrilled that his campaign of secrecy was so watertight. <laughs> yeah, he was thinking, it's going brilliant. Yeah. They have no idea that I'm It's the risk you run, isn't yeah, it? it? If it you is. choose to oh, conceal yeah. absolutely everything there is to know That's about your, your background, you run the risk that some clown... It's going to pluck that yeah. from out of the millions of stupid pop factoids that yeah. I know. I took, I went along <laughs> the entire shelf, yeah. went past all the harmless ones. Yeah. You know, Penny Lane, really no, hurts. not her. Yeah. Yeah. Danny Christie, no, not him. <laughs> Vince, no, no. Oh, I know, Ross McManus. I'll You're probably that. just showing off about your, your, how obscure this guy was. You know, I, I kind of was. I kind of was. And uh, he must have thought. Well, he must have thought I'd done it deliberately. Yeah, he must have done it. Probably still does, actually, though. I have to but, ask. I have to ask. Have you, you must have bumped into him since. Oh, I've bumped into him on many occasions. It's never put a brave face on it. And and I, think it's, I think it's best left. Rushed under the carpet. Yeah. I think it's best left. I meet him, you know, very occasionally. You meet him professionally. He's a terribly nice chap. And, uh, and I, I often, I don't know if I'm convincing myself of this, but we look at each other and... And I know that he knows, and he knows that I know that he knows. You know what I mean? But it has to be a unique occurrence. So anyway, that that's my uh, 
That's my Elvis Costello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good. Got it off my chest to feel better now. Yeah. I leave the room like Tony Soprano leaving his psychotherapy. As embarrassing anecdotes go, though, I, it just reminds me of a very, of a very quick one. When, about 1989, I was working in a record shop, and I was a very big fan of the, uh, the pop group Slow Dive. And Rachel I, from Slow Dive? Well, Rachel from Slow Dive was part of the band that I liked. Yeah. And uh, I, I, they had a new album coming out, and I spent about a week phoning Creation going, look, could they come down to the shop and do a signing? And they were like, oh no, slow dive, I'll never do something like that. Oh, never in a million years, they're far too, you know, oh, they don't do anything like that. And I said, look, please, no, 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 look, we're going to sell hundreds of them, please can come down. And finally they said, yes, okay, look, they'll come down on, you know, Wednesday the 13th of June. And Brilliant. So they're coming down, and uh, I'm doing the posters, doing them all up, putting everything, got there, bring them all out. On. And then I leave, I leave a couple of days before, I can't because I'm going to be on holiday. So I'm going to actually miss it, but I've got someone there, a friend of mine is going to be taking pictures and getting me one signed, all that kind of thing. I can't avoid this holiday. So I go there, and then I come back, and there's about ten really angry messages from creation for me. And I think, what's going on here? And I put these massive posters up in the window with the wrong date on. So no. the slow dive turn up, no. it's like spinal tap. There's not a soul in there. Kick this they have spent <laughs> they have spent weeks saying they won't do it, not a soul turns up. The next day, 300 kids that turn up. No man! So I was persona non grata for a long time. So do you still, again, do you get in the fetal position over the duvet once every few years when you recall the... Uh, I do, although I met uh, the lovely Neil Halstead uh, a couple of times and he hasn't, like Elvis Costello, he's been too big, too big a star <laughs> to bring it up. See, the biggest star, like Neil Halstead, the biggest stars, they don't bring it up. They can afford to be bad. They can afford to be They've risen above it. They've risen above it, yeah. <laughs> Okay, perfect. Thanks very much for that. Uh, well, thanks very much for listening. If you want to know anything more uh, about the magazine, it's on sale now. Uh, wordmagazine.co.uk. And if you want to leave us some feedback on the iTunes store, always very gratefully received. Thanks very much for listening. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 